Joey Flores. Today's guest is the founder and managing director of Inversion Art, an investment program for fine artists providing them with the capital, connections, know-how, and operational support they need to produce their greatest work. He will share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Joey, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm excited to get to know you and about the work you're doing at Inversion Art. Yeah, thank you for having me. Super excited to you know be a part of this. Well, this is a, a new thing. Of course, you've had a, a varied, interesting, exciting career with all kinds of cool things that you've done in the past. But uh, the success you've had in the past suggests that this new venture has great promise. So tell us about Inversion Art. Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, uh, maybe some of your audience is familiar with an organization out of Silicon Valley called Y Combinator. Uh, For those who are not, it is an investment program for technology entrepreneurs that is roundly considered the best in the world and has spawned some of the biggest companies like Dropbox and Airbnb uh, and many others everyone will have heard of. I got to go through that program with my last company, and now I, you know, it was very life-altering, um, just an incredible opportunity, and uh, now I'm trying to mimic that and build a program inspired by it for the art world. So it is an investment program similar to what they do in certain ways and different in others, but essentially what we do is invest in two batches of fine artists each year. Uh, we're starting with 15 in the first group. Um, we invest in them. Um, these are fine artists whose works we believe may eventually end up in museums and worth millions of dollars. You know, very, very, you know, high impact fine art artists with an interesting trajectory, traction in the market, institutional recognition already happening. They're, they may be late emerging or mid-career. We invest in them by buying artwork from them, a, a significant amount, an amount equal to 30% of what they earned last year. So if an artist made $200,000, we're going to buy $60,000 worth of their artwork which is probably three to four pieces. This is could be paintings, sculptures. There may be some digital stuff. A lot of people ask about that, but it's principally tangible physical objects we're collecting. We put those in a collection that we hold on to for at least five years. And then we put the artist through a, an accelerator program like the, are very common in the tech space, but are not common at all in the art space. So it's a three month program where our mentors sit with them and try to help them strategize for the next three to five years of their career, create a sort of vision and strategy plan around that. And then at the end of the program, we bring in a high level audience of curators, collectors, gallery owners, and other professionals from the cultural sector to to check out the artists we're working with and hopefully establish relationships with them to maybe exhibit them at the, at the museum they work at or represent them out of the gallery that they work at. So we're trying to get these artists next level opportunities. And then, you know, in a slight variation away from the original program that this is inspired by, we actually for five years power the back office of their studios. So unlike entrepreneurs who are expected to sort of hire scale and and take care of things on their own, you know, these are artists who, you know, they need to be focused on their creative work. So we actually just take all of that off their plate. We handle it for them and we take 15% of, uh, you know, revenue share for providing those services and ultimately free them up to, to, to pursue their most ambitious goals. It's, uh, it's an exciting model. I, I have a friend who is a, you know, a serious artist who spent years trying to hone his craft and make a career out of his art. Ultimately, 
he ended up in graphic design and marketing. Now he's a big shot in Silicon Valley. So I don't feel sorry for him. But I do wonder what would have happened if he had had the opportunity to participate in a program like this. What do you hope happens? What's the difference you hope to make? Well, I think um, there's just, uh, you know, this is just an area where there's not a lot of readily available capital. Uh, you know, it's it's very strange. These artists are making work that can go from $20,000 price point today to $2.5 million five years from now. It, it's very similar to stock prices, right? Like from these startups, these high growth startups, um, you know, there's, there's the opportunity for exponential returns in the fine art space. And yet there's like nobody providing them with like a reliable source of early stage capital. Um, and so, you know, what we hope to do really is to create sort of a generational organization that like, you know, changes the way artists get funded. We're starting in the fine art space, but, you know, after we've sort of established our brand and credibility in that space, we hope to open this up to more commercial artists, to, you know, maybe even architects. My sister runs a dance studio. She's got an MFA. They don't teach you about how to run a dance studio when you're getting your MFA. Um, you know, so we see the opportunity to support basically creative entrepreneurs of all kinds, but we're very, very bullish on the fine art space. So, you know, in a dream scenario, we we back these artists, a huge percentage of them have long, very successful careers. I mean, really, I think providing them with stability and longevity of career is a huge, you know, like part of our mission. Um, and then, of course, on the financial side, we, we expect, you know, anywhere from five to 15 percent of our artists to do incredibly well uh, and ultimately return big profits to the organization. Um, you know, but but the goal is that all of them are able to sort of you know, have long careers, be, be working in fine art as long as they want to and, and achieving the goals that they sort of want for themselves. Yeah. Uh, as you uh, reflect on your own experience, uh, you've been really successful. I wonder if you could just take a minute and tell us about some of your uh, successes. And I, I want you to be sure to talk about your experience with your band. Sure. Uh, because that's, maybe your most, you know, bona fide stretch as an artist. I know you do some painting too, but talk a little bit about your career, your art, how all that comes together now. Sure. Well, so I, I've always been an artist. When I was a kid, I used to illustrate a lot. I, I would try to, you know, uh, reproduce my favorite comic book art. You know, I would, um, you know, draw pictures out of like random magazines and try to just make it, you know, I was always like trying to copy things exactly like that. That's how I kind of learned art. Um, and then, you know, I got into high school, you know, painting was a requirement in the art classes I took. So I got a little more into painting, whereas previously I was more of an illustrator. Um, and then, you know, something happened and I just didn't really pursue art after high school. Um, but I've always been a very creative person. So, you know, in my very early twenties, I got introduced to the spoken word scene. I had, I had been writing these cute little raps, but they were very silly sort of, you know, the kind of raps that like brag about your rapping skills and, you know, the kinds of things that just don't have a lot of substance to them. Um, and then my friend took me to a place called the poetry lounge in Los Angeles, which is one of the longest running spoken word venues in the country. And I just saw people saying things that just, I mean, it was just, it blew my mind. It was so inspirational. I was like, whoa, I've been talking about dumb stuff. Uh, these people are like, you know, to say that, you know, they have that one line in the poem and then you just you get chills down your spine. You're like, wow, that was awesome. And so this just really inspired me. And all of a sudden I went home, I started writing a lot of spoken word and, um, 
got very into that. Started performing spoken words, started being a featured performer at, you know, I was a featured performer at the Rose Theater in Venice. And just, just you know, I, I, I was making a, a little place for myself in the spoken word community. And um, at the same time, I had been a drummer. I'd always wanted, you know, I'd wanted to be a drummer since I was like 10 years old. I finally started when I was 20. I got sort of gifted a drum set and uh, finally started playing when I was like 20 years old. So I was taking lessons and I've always become like really good friends with my instructors. Um, I always just, I love people who are like, you know, experts at what they do and we always become fast friends. And so my drum instructor and I had been becoming friends. And one day in, in class, you know, in, in the lesson, I said, you know, listen, you know, he graduated magna cum laude from Berkeley film, you know, film, I mean, uh, not film, uh, composition degree. You know, he was not only a drummer, but an incredible composer. And he, he specialized in jazz. And I said, you know, I've been doing spoken word and I have this idea to put together like a jazz group with spoken word over the top of that. Um, it's a little bit more hip hoppy because all of my stuff rhymes. But, you know, like, what do you think? He's like, well, let's let's hear it. So like he started playing a beat. I started performing over the top of that. And he was like, that's not bad at all. Like, that sounds pretty cool. Let's um, let's write a few songs, see how it goes. So anyways, long story short, we got into a band together. It quickly spiraled out of control. We, 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 we created a 10 piece funk, jazz, and hip-hop ensemble, uh, you know, a vibraphone, trumpet, trombone, sax, like, you know, it's just a huge group, very jazzy, very funky, hip-hop, rock. I mean, it was really eccentric. We got everything from, you guys sound like Frank Zappa to Chicago to Rage Against the Machine, like really, really eccentric stuff. Um, and we eventually, we recorded a full-length album. We were selected to open for Arrested Development at the Colorado Music Summit in Denver. And, you know, like, we felt like we had created a good album. We had fans. We were selling, you know, like, plenty of tickets for, sh you know, shows in L.A. Our, our CD release party was, was completely sold out. And, but, we, like, we just could, like, not market this stuff at all. It was, like, impossible. Like, and everybody we talked to was having the same problem. Like, all the bands just having trouble with marketing. I mean, we knew people who had been nominated for Grammys and that they were struggling the same way we were. So we, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we ultimately ended up coming up with an idea for a tech platform that would help musicians with marketing. And, you know, one, one, after two years of talking about it, running it past all of our musician friends, everyone was so excited about the idea that finally we decided to dive in in 2010. And, and, and then the band pretty much came to a stop. You know, once you start a company like that, it's pretty much all consuming. So, um, you know, the band came to an end, but we moved on to a chapter of, of supporting other bands instead. Well, and tell us a little bit about the outcome of the the app, because that was your Y Combinator company, right? It was, yeah. So we started it in 2010. Essentially, what it was is it was trying to turn streaming a streaming platform into a you know a real valuable marketing tool for bands. Instead of trying to use it to sell ads and commercials and subscriptions to consumers, we used it as a marketing tool. And so, yeah, we got into Y Combinator in 2011, um, you know, went from not being able to get any investor meetings to raising $1.7 million from some of the best investors out there. And, um, and, and it was just a life-changing opportunity. I mean, you know, we became really, really good friends with a bunch of incredible entrepreneurs. You know, several of them are now investors in my latest project. And, um, you know, there's, it just can't be overstated how powerful that community is. Um, so, yeah, we got into YC with that. Um, at the time, it was very hard to raise venture capital money. We raised all of our money from angels. Uh, venture capitalists were not putting any money into the music space at that time. There were no successful exits. Uh, Pandora and Spotify were losing tens of millions of dollars every year. So we weren't able to raise additional VC capital. Um, and so kind of forced into a sale in 2015 wasn't exactly the outcome we wanted, but we were very happy to finally be acquired in 2015. And by that time, there was 15,000 bands and 600 record labels using the service. 
That's great. That's great. Uh, I, I imagine you feel like you learned a lot from that experience. Oh my God, <laughs> more than I wanted to. <laughs> but a lot of that now, that 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 wisdom inside experience is now going to be invested, if you will, in inversion art, right? Totally. And also just in understanding the, you know, the, the plight of, of artists, you know, I mean, musicians and visual artists are not the same, you know, exactly, but there, you know, there's lots of similarities and, and uh, you know, whether it's my experience just being a, a hobbyist painter or my experience as the front man and manager of a band, you know, I understand what artists go through and, um, and, you know, definitely bringing that to this experience as well as of course the company building expertise. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like my business partner is the one with all the art world credibility and, uh, we put together a really phenomenal, like kind of who's who team of people from the art world. Um, but I guess what I'm bringing to the table is just an understanding of, of this type of company building, you know, these type of accelerator programs. I actually built two accelerator programs already for tech, you know, for, for other tech companies. Um, the University, uh, the Queensland University of Technology in Australia brought me out to Australia to, to build an accelerator for them. So I've, this, um, you know, I've built two accelerator programs, been through YC. And yes, definitely all of that experience is being applied to what we're doing now. Now, one of your investors is a past guest on the show, Will Stringer. And and uh, one of the things that brought Will and I together was his uh, his role in uh, crowdfunding. I think he raised some money for his enterprise with uh, an investment crowdfunding effort and is supportive of that with his uh, portfolio companies. Are you thinking about that at all? We've, we've thought about it. Um, you know, one of the things about building a company in the fine art space is that it's a really incredible brand building exercise. Um, you know, the fine art space is, a, is, is a whole other animal, right? Um, you know, it's, it's built on, you know, reputation and provenance and, you know, like who, you know, and, and there's just a lot that goes into building a brand there. Um, we've thought about crowdfunding. I wish we could, but we kind of feel like it's just not the right look for us. Um, you know, I, I would love it if, uh, you know, if, 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 you know, great angel investors and, and other folks were, were to come to us, but for us to run a publicly sort of announced crowdfunding campaign is a little off brand. Yeah. Um, you've been very successful, Joey. You've done so much good stuff. Um, as you think about um, your experience, your successes, what do you see as your superpower? Yeah, I, I actually, I've seen this uh, podcast before. So I actually asked my co-founder, I was like, well, you know, I know he's going to ask me this superpower question, which, what, you know, and we both sort of agreed that um, it is that I am like equal parts left brain and right brain, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I, I've been an artist my whole life in one way or another. Um, but, you know, I stumbled into a career in business and, you know, have, you know, sort of, um, always just sort of excelled at like whatever I wanted to do, whether it was creative or whether it was business. And I think that, um, you know, I, I tend to be in more like marketing and partnership roles where I get to be very creative. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that the problem solving that I apply to a lot of business scenarios comes from my creative thinking and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think my superpower is just being like half artist and half business person, probably maybe more like 55 percent business person and 45 percent artist. But, um, yeah, I think that that would be it. It's just this sort of rare combination of, of creativity and, and business, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is fascinating uh, because that is such an unusual thing. Uh, most of us 
you know, are, are identifiably one one side or the other kind of, uh, we see those in our strengths, our skills and our abilities. So can you think of a, an example of a time when your ability to uh, employ both sides of your brain uh, manifested in, in a success that you're proud of? Sure. I mean, you know, just, well, I mean, I think a great example actually is oddly enough is like creating the pitch, the investor pitch deck for Earbits, which was the previous company that I, I was working at or that I built. Um, you know, I, I think of creating like fundraising pitch decks as a very creative exercise. Um, it is, it's a storytelling, right? Like you're literally creating a picture book for investors about the company. Um, but you, you know, the more it's a story, the more that it is fun, the more that it is exciting, you know, those things really help. Um, and it's really funny. So, you know, actually I was, when I was going through Y Combinator, it was time for demo day, uh, where you get to present to all these investors and they have a pretty formulaic, you know, like they have, you know, they advise all the founders, here's the formula, you know, you do this, you do this, you say this and this and that, this is what works. And I knew that that was not going to work for us, um, you know, because of the toxicity of the music space from a venture capital perspective. I knew that if I said what we do first thing out of my mouth, all of the investors were going to be looking at their phones and texting their, you know, like taking care of their emails while I was finishing my pitch. So yeah. you know, we only had, like, I think, two and a half minutes to pitch. And I spent the first minute and a half explaining this story about meeting my co-founder, putting the band together, having problems with marketing and coming to a conclusion that the solution to our problem was X. And then I said, we do X. And everybody then got it, right? They were like, oh, you know, like I see. And um, and so, and 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 afterwards, uh, you know, one of the partners at YC came up who had told me that this was never going to work. My pitch was like, you know, not sticking to the formula, came up, said, I, you know, I, I owe you an apology that we heard yours was the best pitch of the day. And um, I think that's because I, like I'm as much a storyteller as I am anything else. And so, you know, I think like, creating compelling narratives around business is really fun for me. Um, I love helping other founders with their pitch decks and things like that. Like that, that's a lot of fun for me. That's a, such a perfect example. Now I want you to think about kind of a challenging pair of questions. Uh, you choose the order you want to tackle them, but, but uh, for those who have a, a, a right-brained bias, how would you coach them to engage the left brain? And then vice versa, for those who have that left brain bias, how would you coach them to engage the right brain more? Oof. Um, let's see. Well, I think, you know, first things first is that there's just sort of this narrative in the creative world that, you know, you should just be, especially in fine art as an example. I mean, I think it's gotten to a point where in music it's, you know, I think hip hop did a lot for making music musicians realize that it could be cool to earn a lot of money. It can be cool to have sponsors. It can be cool to have products and build businesses and that that can be on brand as an artist and, you know, now you see artists of all kinds doing that. And it's starting now to affect the fine art area. So, you know, fi you see fine artists like um, Tom Sachs, you know, teaming up with Nike to design a new shoe or, you know, Julie Maritou designing the new Amex card. Um, you know, like 10 years ago, those things would probably not have been considered on brand for a fine artist. Um, but now I think it's just like that that world has opened up and people have a different attitude about artists monetizing what they do. 
And so I think one of the first things is like, just let's get past this idea that artists are supposed to be like these purists who never think about their own careers and instead make something cool and cross their fingers. Like that's just so silly and toxic to me. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that's one of the big things about what we're doing with Inversion is, you know, like just making business and the art market not such a dirty word and like, talk, you know, asking these artists, like, what do you want to happen professionally over the next five years? What are your financial goals? And so often they're like, nobody's ever asked me that before. And so I think like one of the things I would advise artists to do is realize that like at the end of the day, you are an entrepreneur who creates a product. Um, it's different than a tech startup, but you, you know, ultimately, like if you want to do this for a living, you need to think of it as a business. And a lot of them just think of like business as a dirty word or something they don't want to engage with. I'm like that with my own art. Like, you know, like I'll be in the boardroom and pitch a million dollar investment opportunity. And then I go out and somebody asks me, how much do I want for one of my paintings? And I'm like, ah, you know, I like, you know, I, and, and, and I mean, that's like the insight I'm bringing to the project is I understand how irritating and annoying that is from an artist perspective. But I also recognize that like, it's silly. I have all these business skills and even I am afraid to apply them to my art. And so I think there's a lot of that from artists. And I think like, you know, a big part of it is just a mentality shift, right? Like you are a business person and you need to be thinking about that if you want to have control over your own career. Otherwise, you are just leaving it up to luck and and, and hoping that people recognize your talent and recognize your abilities and, and reward you uh, financially. Um, but I think that, it, you know, that's just not the way to have a long career. So, you know, I would just uh, say that, you know, artists need to stop thinking that business is something they shouldn't or want to engage in. And they, and they need to take that part of what they do seriously. In terms of other people, you know, I think um, in terms of, you know, business folks thinking more creatively, um, I don't know. Like I said, a lot of that stuff to me, like I wish I could say I like develop these things, but they just have always been something that I, you know, that that is not so hard for me. But um, I think you know, recognizing where creativity comes into your business or into your career is super important. I mean, like, you know, like this idea that, that writing a pitch deck is a storytelling exercise and that you maybe need to read a little bit about, to, you know, telling stories. Maybe you need to go do Toastmasters, you know, like, the, you know, so I think, you know, flexing your creative muscles is important. Um, I think that's also one thing that it comes down to is like, you know, practicing these things, right? I mean, like if I look at my pitch decks from the very beginning of your bits to compared to what I ended up with at the end, uh, it's night and day. And so I think, you know, like nobody should expect that they are going to be super creative right out the gate. And, you know, it's, it's a muscle you have to flex. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs to flex it, whether they're doing it through, you know, sort of being involved in the design process or, or what have you. But yeah, that, those would be my suggestions. No, that's great. That's great. I really appreciate sharing those insights. So, Joey, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Before we wrap up, would you take a minute and tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about Inversion Art? If there's an investment opportunity, tell them how they participate in that. If they can uh, apply to be an artist in the program, tell them how to do that. Uh, let's make sure people know how to follow up with you appropriately. Sure. So our website is inversionart.com. Um, there's plenty of ways to contact us through there. Uh, and it does go directly to me and my co-founder. Um, 
so yeah, we would welcome any outreach. There is a sort of artist interest forum for artists who would like to um, be considered for the program. Uh, we're at this point, you know, not inundated with those applications. We haven't even really like publicized the program all that much. So um, anybody who fills out that form now is certainly going to get a pretty quick response and, and, and we are happy to take a look at what they're doing. Um, so yeah, any, any artists who are interested, um, you know, certainly there's the, the early interest form on our website. There's the regular contact form to reach out to us. We're pretty accessible. And then anybody who's interested in maybe getting involved in the business side of things, um, you know, we've raised capital for some incredible people. Anybody who wants to be part of that journey, um, same thing, you know, hit the website uh, or my email address is just joey at inversionart.com. Fantastic. Well, Joey, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We wish you every success in your quest to help uh, artists become more successful financially. Thank you, Devin. Thank you for highlighting companies that are doing wonderful things in the world. Appreciate it. All righty. Let's do some good. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book. Superpowers for Good as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.